Welcome to Imperfect Momming. Our children are constantly looking to us for examples. The term role model doesn't quite cut it here. We are shaping their worldview with every move we make. You see, it's not in the lectures we give or moments where we are actively attempting to teach them. It's in the micro movements we make, the unconscious ways in which we navigate life. We are constantly teaching our children how to show up for themselves, their friends, their future partners, and even their future children. So what can we do to ensure we are raising thoughtful, compassionate, self-aware human beings? We have to become them ourselves. No one is perfect, but we can still all be better, and it starts with self-healing. Let's get to it. Welcome back to Imperfect Momming. And if you're listening for the first time, um, welcome. We have a very special guest today, Aubrey Sanchez. Welcome to Imperfect Momming. Hi. Tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and what you do. Yeah. So um, I started an interior design firm in 2017, and I also am the mom of five kiddos. They're ages seven up through 15 right now. And um, I have been kind of learning how to juggle and balance all of that the whole time and also healing and working through my own um, CPTSD, learning about my ADHD, my kids' special needs and neurodivergencies, and um, that I wasn't as bad of a mom as I thought. I just had challenges that I didn't know were more common than I thought. And like that there were ways to, you know, get help on that. And so that's who I am. And also my work with interior design has been very connected to sort of what I have learned about supporting moms and families and people in healing and in their lives. So my interior design work is also connected. Awesome. Well, so tell me a little bit about kind of the journey from, um, you know, what you said that, that my face reacted to. (laughs) (laughs) was I'm not as bad of a mom as I thought. Um, (laughs) And that thought and statement is so prevalent in, in this journey of motherhood that it, it's like the, and, and the sad thing is the moms that, that think they're bad or horrible or doing a terrible job are actually probably the ones that are doing the best, especially when we think, okay, I'm doing a bad job. And then we try to improve like that's And then the other, the moms that don't have those thoughts are probably doing a terrible job and, or moms that are blatantly, you know, disregarding and trampling on the needs of their children are not stopping and going, wait, but am I, I am I a bad mom? Am I, like, could I do better? It's interesting. (laughs) It, it, I mean, it's, it's fascinating to me just because I think that humans are fascinating and I want to know why we do the things we do, (laughs) but tell me a little bit about that journey of, oh, I'm not as bad as I thought I was and kind of discovering some of your own struggles, as well as you also said that your your children have neurodivergences as well. Yeah, so um, 
Well, so it's a lovely web, but as far as just the story in kind of a simple form, I, the way that I grew up was very, very psychologically and emotionally abusive, also very covert. So, um, very, um, especially on the part of my father, who was like the psychological abuser, um, extremely intelligent man, you know, it wasn't just covert to the outside world. It was covert to us because of the gaslighting and the way that we were being taught to see ourselves as the problem. So in other words, I thought I had had this like pretty great family and that I had issues, right? Mm -hmm. I was problematic, but like, and I want to, yeah. And I just want to pause you there too, because that is something that children do. Yes. Regardless of how good or bad your parents are, like parents are human. So Mm -hmm. whether we're intentionally hurting our child or not, parents are human. We hurt, hurt our children what we need to be aware of as, as adults, as parents is that our children think it's them because we look at these adults, we think they're raising us. They're taking, taking care of us. They must know what they're doing because why would they not? Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's actually as far from the truth as, as can be like, we don't know what we're doing hundred percent of the time continue yep. 100%. and those and I love it because that that's exactly like what as I learned that where I was able to start having that compassion for myself as a mom and that awareness of what my kids you know were going through when I was struggling and so yes those are the shifts like to where as an adult being able to finally like embrace that and like and and on the part of my mom especially there was just a lot like she was in an abusive relationship she was not okay right so she was not an abuser. My dad was. My mom was an imperfect human with massive struggles. And there was emotional parentification, enmeshment, neglect. You know, there were those things going on, on in that relationship, which was probably the more dominant relationship in my life just because she was the caregiver, right? So like, so that is exactly like you just said, you know, it was, it was so much that way. And so, yeah, as a kid, I kind of grew up thinking like, oh yeah, I have this great family, you know, but I have like, but I'm a pain in the butt, you know, like I'm hard to deal with. And then like, so anyway, but as a young adult, it wasn't a big deal. It was like, as a young adult, before I started having kids and everything, it was kind of like, I was fiercely independent. I didn't, you know, I, I had this desire to be like, not dependent on my parents and to like, like there was some stuff going on that I was like, uh, but I didn't really start breaking it down that much. I kind of just went about my life, went to college, you know, got married. And at the point at which we started having a family and having children, I was still pretty unaware of like what was or wasn't healthy or normal about like how I had grown up and, um, and how it would affect me to be a mom because I, you know, was the oldest sibling. I loved to babysit. I was like, dude, I'm good with kids. I love kids. Like it's not, you know, like it's going to be intense, but like, I'm going to be good at this, you know? Cause like, I'm like a babysitter. I'm good with kids. What I didn't know was that I had massive CPTSD from how the way that I was raised was not okay. And I was very, very, very triggered by my children. They were. And I want to interrupt you one more time. Can you explain what CPSD is? Yeah, CPTSD. So chronic. Yeah, yeah. Chronic 
PTSD. So PTSD we hear about more often. That's basically right. your post-traumatic stress disorder, right? So stress to a point where it becomes trauma. We're talking about, you know, trauma responses, chronic PTSD, CPTSD manifests a little differently um, and is essentially a type of PTSD that you develop over long periods of prolonged, repeated behaviors or situations um, that you're enduring, not just more of like a kind of, it's like chronic pain versus like an acute injury where something big happens and you have to get it dealt with you're dealing with sort of even if it's a lower level of trauma then like meaning the impact is like less destructive than like a big event that could happen that could cause trauma mm -hmm. it's causing trauma but it's also throughout the years that you're developing how you see the world if it if it's happening as a child which the, that's kind of one of the most common ways to develop a cptsd yeah. is and for me, that was true. I was developing it as my brain was learning to just interpret the world. Yeah. And so all that default wiring. So like, let's say I had grown up in a relatively healthy situation and then had some extremely traumatic experience, you know, someone close to me died and I was right there with them or, you know, just these, these harrowing experiences that can be very traumatic. I could have the fallback of this sort of generally loving and good view of the world, right? Like, and you can have both, by the way, like, that's also true. Yeah. But, um, but if I had none of the CPTSD and then was healing through a PTSD situation, I would have sort of that idea that the world could still be a beautiful, good place. And that like, and some baseline to kind of fall back on in a CPTSD situation. That's not always the case. Like your whole view of yourself and of the world from birth is, or from a young age is, uh, at least in my situation is like, no, like no one will baseline. Me. people will use me. I'm not safe, you know, yeah. in any situation, like I'm, I'm not safe to be close to anyone. I'm, fundamentally flawed there's something I shouldn't let people get to know me too well because there's something with me that's gonna you know cause people to reject me and to hurt me and you did a really beautiful job of explaining CPSD and and PTSD like I've because I'm I was familiar with it but it's not something we've <laughs> talked about on the podcast so I'm like well if you're listening for the first time you've never heard it then you probably want that explanation I think you did a be yeah. beautiful job of explaining it and that you know you were saying if you had this healthy growing up you and you had a, a traumatic experience of one thing one traumatic thing you have this you know healthy brain development worldview that you could fall back on but when you have these these you know abusive micro traumas then you don't have that if you then have you know, a, a traumatic experience and, and so forth. Right. So, and exactly. then the last thing that you said before I ad asked you to <laughs> explain that was you were highly triggered by your kids. So if that, if you yeah. want to pick up from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were just yeah. being kids, right? Like yeah. they were, I mean, I mean, they were, I love to call it beautifully diverse in the sense that, you know, their brains worked in all these different ways and there were all these different needs that they had and ways that they experienced the world. So, so like, I mean, they had unique challenges and things, but they were beautifully perfect. I mean, they were just who they were. They were just these amazing kids. 
And, and I don't know if you're aware, but I, I'm, I'm pretty certain that every parent is triggered <laughs> by their children oh, for doing for normal sure. child stuff. When for sure. And all of this yeah. exists on a spectrum because right. nobody, like, just like you said, nobody has perfect parents. Right. And everyone pretty much can find someone who has worse parents than them. Right. I can like, you know, so it's yeah. it. a lot of these things apply at some level or another to so many people. Right. And to whatever extent that's true. And for just, me, and you just go said ahead. something too. Sorry. <laughs> you just said no, something too that people like they, um, they, you said like, there's parents that are worse than mine and that's yeah. Air quotes. And so that also is something that we use to dismiss our pain. Yes. And, <laughs> and it, when we dismiss our pain that like that inner child that didn't get what she, he or she needed is, is being, is, is being ignored and she's being yeah. dismissed and, and that doesn't help it help them yes. heal which is why yeah. i say this applies to everyone yeah. whatever whatever that showed up as mm -hmm. however that looked right like it's helpful to kind of see that and to say sure your experience is going to have differences than mine and there's probably things in what i went through that do really and can mm -hmm. can apply and and there's also people out there who are struggling who haven't even deconstructed and don't even understand maybe what wasn't okay about how they were raised no matter how good of people or how much their parents loved them or they were trying their best that doesn't mean that everything that they did was healthy for that child's development and for you know their sense of self and it can even be affecting one child differently than another child in the same home because we're different and what we needed might have been different and so their style may have been really really great for my sibling and really really challenging and, and damaging for my needs as an individual child right so yes it's it's so true it's and so I love you it's so complicated <laughs> like, it is that's why I started by saying it's a mess and it's a web it's a it's a yeah. big intricate you know thing and so yeah, we kind of use language to explore it, but I'm always like, there's all these angles we can come at it from. There's all these ways we can describe it and look at it. And we all as humans have so much in common and so much diverse in our experiences and in who we are and what we interpret from things. But we also all have human pain and we all had needs that weren't met and we all have things, right? So, yeah. So, I mean, having little babies and toddlers and everything, I mean, it's physically freaking intense. You're not sleeping. Like all of that can bring out sort of, you know, the, the like worst in us or the, you know, um, and so, yeah, so that was the case for me. And, and in my case, because of the nature of some of the psychological abuse that had been going on, um, it was pretty debilitating we'll put it that way. Like it was, so like, as I was triggered and things, I was very, very, very much struggling to function at any kind of level that I had been able to before having children. So I was, um, ex you know, I mean, it was like extremely difficult for me to take any care of myself, meaning to eat anything, to shower even once a week to make it my way out to the mailbox um to i was living in an apartment that had 
no laundry in it. So there was a laundromat for the laundry. So to go do that, um, basically just to survive the day and nurse, you know, my baby and change diapers. And like, it was, that was like pretty much maxing me out. And even then it was like, I might struggle to get myself to do the next thing that I know needed to happen. Right. And, uh, I was just depressed, very depressed. And, um, and then after I, so I was very intuitive and spiritual and had grown up very religious, some of which was part of the control in my home that was used as this very controlling thing. So all that to say, I had strong beliefs about like that I should have, uh, you know, that I should be a mom, that I should stay home with my kids. Cause like, that was the most important work for me to do in this life. And, um, and I also had some very strong, like intuitive experiences that I believe were real for me where it was like, I wanted more kids. I had come from a big family. I loved having a lot going on. I wanted that. So I was like having more children. And I wanted them close together because I wanted them to have each other. But I also just wanted to get through this. I kind of had this, like, put my head down and just power through it and get through the hard part. Like, that was my mindset, right? And now I kind of look at others who are not necessarily choosing to approach it that way. And I'm like, oh, I'm glad they know that at least that's a choice. Like, that they can take five years between every one of their babies or however they want to do that is beautiful. But but for me at the time, it was sort of like, a, this is the only way I'm going to survive this is if I just have them quickly and put my head down and just survive it, mm. you know? Yeah. So by the time my fourth, so out of five, my fourth was a baby. They were, it, she was a baby. And then it was like, they were ages, baby two, two-year-old, um, a four-year-old and a six-year-old. Okay. Mm. So that was my my brood at the time I was doing, I was being a stay at home mom. I, my, we had gone to an apartment several States away from home with no furniture and barely any money in one car for my husband to do an internship. It was for his master's program for his MBA. And so here I am with a lot of days, sometimes he could take the bus, but sometimes he couldn't depending on his work day. So I either had a car or I didn't, I had no money barely, you know, I had, I had no friends. I had no furniture. I just had these four tiny humans in this bare bones apartment with mattresses on the floor. And, um, and that was the low, low, low point. That was, that was when I began to essentially ideate and plan how I was going to leave them without traumatizing them okay so like obviously I never figured that out because there was no way to leave yeah. them without traumatizing that's the only reason I didn't leave yeah because I and and ironically um this was a form of suicidality for me meaning I wasn't leaving to like become happy. I what I didn't feel like I need to leave in order to I'm going to go find myself and be happy and be okay. It was like it does not matter what happens to me. They don't deserve me. Like they need someone who's a better mom. They need like I need to get out of the way 
so someone can come take care of these babies and love them the way I can't. And, and at that point it was, my depression was showing up as rage. So I felt and expressed rage around normal childhood stuff. Yeah. You know, the, the dining room in this apartment was carpeted. Love that for me as a mom with toddlers, right? What the heck? Um, and like, you know, and it was like, you know, the, the two-year-old spilling milk on the carpeted dining room, you know, and just internally just rage, you know, and trying to tone it down, like in how I expressed it at him, but like still, you know, just anger. And those were the moments where I was like, they deserved something better than this. And that's where my head was at. I believed that. I believed that I would never be what they needed me to be and that I would never be able to meet their needs and to be the kind of mom that they deserved. And so I was trying to figure out how can I leave and not have that be about abandonment and about them not being enough, right? Like I wanted to somehow find a way because I believed that they would be better off without me. But I also knew if I leave, they will forever feel rejected and discarded and abandoned. You know, like those are the real experiences of a child whose mom does that. And so it was like, I couldn't reconcile it. I was like, there's gotta be a way because this isn't okay for them. And I don't know what to do. And I finally started to share, even though I had so much shame around that I felt that way and that I thought those things, I started to talk about it. I started, I told my husband, I told my mom, I told my sister, <clears throat> and we were getting closer to the end of that summer. And so I set up so that when we went back, I would have therapy and like things lined up and to try to find solutions for this situation because it felt so unmanageable mm -hmm. and it was on the way back home that we had stopped in this like historic town and it was this um historic site for the church that I was in at the time and um what was crazy is that it was on that trip that I and the few days we spent in that like reenactment it's Nauvoo in Illinois but it's this reenactment village and from you know the 1800s and so I had this moment where I was looking around and going there's a totally different culture here where people were believing some of the same theology that I was believing but the culture was totally different there was no like oh the women should stay home and not work like what it was this it was this little like pioneer town before they like went west and like I mean the women made quilts and taught school and did herbs and like you know and yeah. like I had this whole mindset shift where I went dude I went to school for interior design I'm a human with passions and and a personality and needs and like I cannot just hold my breath and try to survive the next 18 years with these children like I have to actually be a whole person that's when I started to like get that insight and you know feel that inspiration to like I gotta be a whole person like if they have less time with me every week but I stick around because I'm healthy and I can be there for them and they know I care and that I love them and 
and that I'm okay too. And I'm not the martyr. I'm not like, it's not like, oh, mom's depressed because we are the problem, right? Which was part of what I had had growing up. And so it all, it all started to click and to fall into place. And it's been still this huge journey since then of learning what that even means. I mean, I still like, this is my, the one that was the baby at the time is now nine, right? Okay. I still like go to therapy and my therapist says, you know, okay, like, you know, you're in a flashback, like this is something's coming up for you and it's lasting for days. What self-care can you do? You know, what do you need to do to sort of help your nervous system and to be in a good space? And I'm still like, big part of me doesn't want to take care of myself. You know, like I'm still, I'm mm-hmm. still rewiring yeah. all of that stuff right? Like it's a, it's a very long process. And so I've really had to embrace that growth isn't all at once and it's messy and it's slow, but it's real. Like I've finally learned that, yes, I can be who my kids, I already am who my kids need me to be. And I can grow in my ability to be present with them and my ability to manage myself, my ability to um, differentiate, like to be like, Hey, they can have a different opinion than me. And that's okay. You know, that's great. Actually. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah, not that that's a short version, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it was a beautiful version. I like, I love that there, you just had this, like this download of like, I can be a whole and complete person or I, my kids deserve this whole me as a whole and complete person and that you had the awareness too that you know there are there are people that are just like I can't do this and leave and they have no thoughts about you know what they're leaving behind um you know or they actually legitimately think okay my kids are going to be better off without me but they don't have the conscious awareness of like you did about, yeah, but they're going to actually, they're not going to be better off without me. They're actually going to blame themselves that they weren't good enough. And they're, I'm not saying that in any kind of shame way, like we just don't have the awareness, but I think that it's amazing that you did, especially in the state of mind that you were in. Yeah. I'm grateful that I, yeah, that I had that because geez, I mean, I look back and I'm just like, you know, like it was so close. And so, yeah, I'm really glad that I did. And, and again, that kind of goes back to when you look back and you go, see, I wasn't a terrible mom. I was in a terrible situation. Like I didn't, I was in a situation that was disempowering for me. I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't, you know, I was trying to cling to beliefs that weren't quite serving me, at least in the way they had been given to me. And I was trying to be this like idea of a perfect, it was like the pursuit of being perfect made me so impossibly flawed. And when I was able to like, really just accept that whoever I am today and whatever I have to offer, that's enough because that's what I have is like, that's the shift. And so I, the question I usually ask is, is there a piece of advice that you want to get to give to moms? But I actually want to ask it in a different way. It'll probably be the same, but like, what's something that you wish you had known back then? Hmm. Um, I'm trying to think how to word this, but almost like 
that there was space for my children to thrive and me to thrive and that I could take up space and have needs and do things that I wanted and needed. You know, I didn't even have to justify it as a need. It could just be a want. And that was okay. Like I could want and need things. And so could my kids. Mm -hmm. And that it wasn't like a zero sum game. Like either I'm a selfish mom who takes care of herself or this like selfless martyr mom who puts her kids first. Like I could strongly value my children and I could matter too. Like there was just space for all of us to be human and have wants and to thrive, (laughs) all of it. It, it is interesting that, and it's a, it's a balance too, but it's interesting that we, it, in some respects that we cease to exist as moms, as soon as we become a mom, <clears throat> because they have needs and they can't take care of it. Like, like taking care of ourselves and taking care of a, a child or children at the same time, those two things can't coexist. I've, it is very fascinating that that's kind of the message that we get, um, that we're kind of programmed into that that's, that that's the truth when in reality, like we're actually not supposed to be doing it all on our own. You know, exactly. we're, it's not supposed to be a hundred percent on mom's shoulders. We're actually supposed to have villages mm-hmm. that support us taking care of ourselves, fulfilling our needs um and once or once are valid too um yeah I love the I actually love the way that you worded that um in spite of throwing you a little curveball with a different question <laughs> is there a book that's been instrumental in your personal development journey oh my goodness I I so many <laughs> so I'm like picking one is the is the tricky the part yeah um sure. There, there have been a lot. Um, I'm like looking around for like visual cues. Um, so one of them actually was written by a mother and a son. And it was, it was poignant because it wasn't just like, here's concepts about the, you know, it was them telling their story. And this was, uh, and her son's name was, was Nate. And my son is my middle child with a lot of, of, um, sensory needs and neurodivergency is, is Nathaniel. Anyway, um, now I'm going to struggle to even remember the name of it, but, um, but they describe, you know, their journey as a mom and a son, um, and they both co-authored the book mm-hmm. and that one was really powerful for me because it was like getting invited into like a living room in a home that was like different than the home I grew up in and with a mom that I related a lot with, like where, you know, she had ADHD too, that hadn't been acknowledged when she was a child. And so she hadn't been shown being patient with your children and she was learning it herself. Um, oh my gosh. I could look it up and we could put it in the show notes or something. <laughs> yeah, but, um, that one's that one's huge. But I listen. I mean, I think blogs, podcasts, and audiobooks and just, you know, and physical books, like that has been so powerful for me in rewriting my story and in, you know, changing my thought patterns. Like that's just how I immerse in it. So it's like I'm constantly remembering that there are other ways to approach these things, other, you know. Yeah, I, th- I think that reading books 
is is a huge um huge asset in in our uh my son's 12 and he was forced to read a lot of books last year and he's like why do you why do you like reading so much because he does not enjoy it and I didn't enjoy it when I was that age either um <laughs> but it was it like that it just it gives you can learn something from anything really you know um like you went to that that historical landmark and you you grasped something um and I don't know if people really realize how impressive that was <laughs> because you were like I call it the pit of despair in my own life like you were in the middle of the pit of despair and you had this awareness like I have these kinds of awarenesses a lot when I'm happy <laughs> But I'm uh, like when I'm happy, you know, like I have these, I'll have the, like I was reading, um, I love reading autobiographies or listening to rather autobiographies of celebrities. And I just finished Will Smith's um, autobiography and the very first chapter was, and I mentioned it a couple of times, I think on the podcast, the first chapter, he was talking about building this wall that his dad made him and his brother build and it would have taken a contractor like a day and a half to to do it. And it took them a year and a half. And they were complaining about it one day. And the dad came out and he said, are you focused on the wall or are you focused on the brick? What are you focused on? If you focus on your the next brick, the next task, you can't get overwhelmed. When you're focusing on the whole wall, you get overwhelmed, you know, Um but you were in, you know, the pit of despair when you had this, like, uh, probably felt like a lightning bolt to your brain. Like I can, I can, I can be whole and complete and still be a good mom. That's huge. Yeah. Thank so you. Yeah. where can our listeners find you? So, um, I, I have a free Facebook group. It's called, um, surround yourself with beauty. Um, and so we can stick a link for that. Um, and then um, Aubrey-Sanchez.com is where kind of events and things that I'm starting to do aside from like my design services, yeah. it's on there. So perfect. Well, thank you for being here and pouring into our guests and sharing your um, your imperfect story of how you've gotten to where you're at. Um yeah, I appreciate your time. Yeah, this was lovely. It was really great talking to you. And I love what you're doing. I'm excited that I found your podcast. So thank yeah. you. Um, so if you are listening, don't forget to like and subscribe on whatever platform you are listening to this on. It's really helpful for small little podcasts like mine um, to help them grow. And until we meet again, uh, keep healing. Bye, guys. Thank you for tuning in to Imperfect Momming. It's time for us to step up and realize that our power is not in trying to shape our children. Our power lies in shaping ourselves into the people we want our children to model themselves after. Don't just do it for your kids. Do it for yourself. When you become a more self-aware, compassionate, and confident person, you and everyone around you benefit. For more information about me and my work, visit alishalyons.com. That's A-L-Y-S-I-A 
L-Y-O-N-S.com. See you next time.